because we, we really just, we read like a few lines inside and mainly spoke outside. So we discussed the idea of what Mitzrayim represents so we can know what we're actually leaving. We said Mitzrayim represents the limitations and the, the boundaries that we're bound to in this physical world. And living as if we're in Mitzrayim is, is what Paro said, that I don't know Havaya. I don't know that there's anything beyond the experience that I have down here. I can accept that maybe Hashem is involved in the world, but not that Hashem transcends the world and that Hashem is beyond that. And so he didn't understand why do you want to become this Jewish nation who needs to serve God in a different way than everybody else. Um, obviously, what he didn't understand was that through going out into the desert so that we can serve Hashem instead of Parai, we can actually become united with Hashem himself and transcend the name of Elohim and actually experience even beyond Havaya, as we're going to see. And so leaving Egypt, which we said is, is the description of, called Ratzo, which is experienced during Kriyachma, is leaving behind our limitations and the limited belief that we can only reach and experience Hashem as we see him and understand him down here. So chapter two is now going to continue on this line of Ratzo, and only in chapter three we're going to start speaking about Shuv. And here we're taking it in a bit of a different angle. We're continuing to speak about prayer and davening and how we can see this process, um, the process that helps us reach the point of Ratzo and Krichma throughout the davening. And specifically, how we can see, uh, the altar is going to give us a bit of a advice for people who, even if they contemplate on all the things mentioned above, on Hashem's Malchus, and on how Hashem's Malchus is just a ray, a ray, a ray, beyond a ray, and infinitely um, far away from His essence, and that that's what brings the entire world into being. When we contemplate on just how far we are away from Hashem, it's supposed to arise within us, this feeling of Ratzo. But then the Altar Rebbe says, those who are so involved in this physical world, even when they do think about these meditations, they don't experience this love, which is probably relatable to all of us here, right? Um, even if we think about these things, by the time we get to Shema, we're not feeling it, as, we, as, we, as the term goes, right? So the Altar Rebbe is going to give us a very practical advice, very similar advice to what he gives in Ani Ludodi, if you guys for those of you who were here, that what happens if you can't experience um, this motivation and this feelings for Hashem, that we need to arouse mercy in our soul. And so we're going to see how throughout davening, there are quotes and phrases from Tanakh specifically relating to mercy. And we're going to see they're specifically relating to love, fear, and mercy, as we're going to see. And these are all, if we really tap into and tap into these ideas throughout prayer, we can arouse mercy on our soul so that by the time we get to Shema, we can experience this love. So, let's start inside. It says there's a very famous chazal for Ambrachas, which says, that the prayers were established by our forefathers. Have you heard this idea? That when it says, when Avram woke up in the morning, he dove in Shacharit, and he established the prayer of Shacharit. And it says about Yitzchak, that Yitzchak left um, before evening, and that is the prayer of Mincha. That's the, um, it's explained by our sages that he went out to daven Mincha. And when was Yaakov davening at night? When did daven, Yaakov daven at night? I don't know. I don't know the source of the story in the Torah for, for that, although I do know that Mairev also is sourced in the idea that there were the korbanot, there were the two daily tmidim that were brought in the morning and afternoon, and then whatever was left over would burn the whole night. And that idea of it burning the whole night, of, so, so to speak, having the sacrifice that lasted all night long is the idea of Meirev. Um, but, but Yaakov established Meirev. So there's something about our forefathers that's, that's represented within our prayer. 
we know that each one of our forefathers represent um, represent a different sphere and a different emotion that is used to serve Hashem. So the altar is going to take this this quote, which practically means that Avram established Shacharit, Yitzchak established Mincha, Yaakov established Meirev, and is going to explain it on a deeper level based on what Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov represent spiritually in the spiritual service of Hashem. And we know that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were one of the seven shepherds, which means that the way they served Hashem had an imprint, a lasting impact, left a stamp on every single Jewish soul. And so the way they served Hashem gives us a power that we inherited from them to serve Hashem in a similar way. How can they affect our souls if they are different souls? How can a soul Very good question. Because there are different types of souls. Some souls are called souls that are uh, <coughs> heads, and then some, then the rest of the souls are called all the different parts of the body. Tanya speaks about this. So there are some souls which are the head, and just like the brain impacts every single part of the body, so to certain souls have an impact on every single, um, on every single soul that's going to come after it. And um, then the rest of the souls, you know, just like our hand doesn't have an impact, so to speak, on our foot. There's two separate things. Even though our souls are all essentially one in its root, um, you know, one doesn't necessarily impact the other in that, in that way. So um, the Avot and the seven shepherds specifically had such tremendous souls that their souls included all of the Jewish souls within them. And therefore, the way they served Hashem impacted all of the Jewish souls for a lifetime. Have you guys heard about this idea of Rosh B'nai Israel? That Rebbe, Rebbe mm-hmm. is the acronym for Rosh B'nai Israel, and mm-hmm. he's the head of the Jewish people. And the Tanya describes, specifically speaking about the Nasi of every generation, that he's, he's a completely different soul than us. It's considered a general soul that includes all of the souls of that generation within them, within that soul. And therefore, there's a special, special connection with each Rebbe of each generation with with all of the souls, all of the Jewish people throughout the entire world of that generation because there's a very, very, very deep soul connection. You're so looking confused. Abraham had his, everyone's soul and his wife's soul while she had her own soul? <laughs> Sarah actually, I think that, yeah, the Imahot, I don't know if they're also considered, they're also, they also do have an impact on... Like um, I knew that they drew down all the souls. I didn't know they inhabited... Well, it says like about Adam. It says about Adam Harishon that his soul included every single soul that was ever going to come out ever again. It's called the Neshama Klalit. Well, Adam and Chava start off as the same. Okay. And then they were separated. Um, Adam and Chava together, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then did she get... Oh, were you saying when they separated? Well, soul, that's the thing. Sometimes not exactly what happens with the body is what happens with the soul. The soul is a bit transcendent. Um... I don't know exactly how that works when they were together than when they were separated. Um, but the idea, there's something called an ashama klalit. That's, it, what it, that's what the term is called, an ashama klalit, which means a general soul. Because... So there's no ashama klalit right now since there was nifter? Well, we would, first of all, the Rebbe's soul is still... Is still we're still completely able to interact with that. Um, is there another uh, nasi? Not from what you know. Not from what we believe um, that the Rebbe's soul is still impacting every single Jewish soul today, which we can see pretty much if we look around at, at what's going on in the world. Um, there's something I wanted to say about this because it is a big idea. I, I was sure it's from the beginning in, in Tanya, so I was sure you guys had learned this. Um, 
there's also something unique to the seven shepherds. So in a way, Adam, his soul included all of the souls, and then the seven shepherds, which are Avram, they're Ushbizin, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Yosef, David HaMelech, I'm, I'm, I'm Aaron and Moshe. I went in the wrong order there of like, um, Moshe and Aaron. Those seven are called the seven shepherds. They had such unique souls that they're shepherds, just as shepherds feed their flock. Each one fed something to the Jewish people and added a dimension to the, to the souls of the Jewish people and to the service of the Jewish people, each one in his own unique way. So, but the idea really is brought that it's kind of like a stamp that, 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 um, that they stamped onto every single Jewish soul. Have you heard of the idea that the Jewish people are um, naturally Rachmanim, that they they're, they're naturally have a leaning towards being merciful? So these are traits, so to speak, that we inherited from our forefathers that were like placed as a stamp on every single soul. Um, also the idea of the hidden love that we have, that we got as an inheritance, etc., etc. So um, I don't know exactly how it works, that one soul affects all the other souls that are going to come. I don't know how the exact process works, but that's... That's a general idea. Um, is that clear enough to continue? Yeah? Thank you. Okay. Um, I could do a little more research if you guys do want. To, uh, very, very much, it comes back to that real question of like, what's, what's a Rebbe? You know, what's a Rebbe? And, and um, how is it that we, through connecting to the Rebbe, connect with Hashem? Is that not a Vodazara? Like, how does that work? So it really comes down to, to this idea. Um, that, that there's an inherent soul connection of every single Jew of that generation with the leader of the generation, which through connecting to it, your soul becomes more complete and, and able to connect in a deeper way to Hashem. One quick question. Sure. For the Balshanto, who... From Moshe. So, so Moshe Rabbeinu was the Rebbe of his generation. And it says that he gave them das, and every single generation. Bless you. Bless you. Well, we know from many generations what they were based on the Gemara, etc. Which, which, who the? In every generation, there was like the Rebbe. It was called the Nasi, and then there was the um, like the Rav, like the the person who ran the Av Beit Din, like the head of the Sanhedrin. And the Nasi, they were the, like two. They worked together, and they were the leaders. And every gen- so every generation had had one. Um, it's up for discussion probably who, you know, within the past generations who that was, depending on who, you know. Um, Chabad believes that the seven Rebbeim um, were the seven, you know, were the, were the leaders of the generation and then the Magid and the Baal Shem Tov and, and, and... But it's not like there's a universal acceptance that in, in 790 C, common era, this was... <laughs> in, the, the time of the, in the time of the Gemara, there was, a, there was pretty was, much an acceptance. Sometimes there was politics, but usually there was the Nasi of that generation. Have you heard of Yehuda Hanasi? He's yeah. called clearly Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Yeah. He was the Nasi of that generation. Um, Rabbi, like, you know, each generation, that was pretty much undisputed because we can look back in history and see very clearly. As... as um, I would say Judaism split up into so many different like sectors and different ways of serving Hashem, and as it got more and more and more broad that way, you know, different people see different leaders as as you know the leader of um, well, jury. Yeah. But it has been identified, regardless of whether or not it's up for debate. There are people we think would have been. The yes, I mean, starting with Moshe, Hashem Hashem gave us the Torah through Moshe, so he established a new. Uh, not a new, but an integral part of Judaism is that we get the Torah from Moshe and that every single, it's called in the Zohar, the Ishpat, 
I always mix up this word, ishpatstusa, which means ish istapshusa, which means the the um, now I'm forgetting the English also the expression, the means to like the spreading forth or the expression of Moshe in every generation. Ishpastusa, sorry, de Moshe beholder vador. That just as we had Moshe when we got the Torah, every single generation has a has a special soul called the Neshama Klalit, who is a spark of the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu, and he is the Moshe Rabbeinu of that generation, and he is the one who, so to speak, feeds the Torah to the Jewish people in that generation, and through whom the Jews can, so to speak, communicate with Hashem as they communicate with Hashem through Moshe. Um, I think last year it was, maybe it was two years ago, I spent a week actually discussing this idea and we brought different sources and looked into it. Um, maybe, maybe we can do that after Shavuot because maybe before Gimel Tamos, that's a good time. We can spend a few days looking at sources and there's this idea, what does it mean, the, ex- the expression of Moshe in every generation, what does it mean to connect to another human being down here in order to connect to Hashem? What do all these things mean? So maybe we could do that as a preparation for Gimel Thomas, but you'll need to remind me, okay, if you guys are interested. No, no. <clears throat> Gimel Thomas is already... Moshiach will be here. It's Hashem. Amen. Um, I think it's like... I think it's June 21st this year. What, what day do you guys end? Maybe it's the 19th, and oh, then it's wow. the 21st. June 21st. The 21st. Wow, Okay. So you finish the 19th. Very cool. Okay. All right. So the deeper meaning of what it means that the Avot established prayer is that the Avot each represents a different emotion that they served Hashem with. And that when we tap into these emotions that we've inherited from them and utilize these emotions throughout prayer, we can reach this level of Ratzot. So on a simple level, this means that Avram prayed in the morning, Yitzchak prayed in the afternoon, and Yaakov prayed in the evening, but the altar is going to interpret it on a deeper level. So perish, the deeper meaning of tfilot, avot teknum, that our avot established the prayers is, avot heim chesed gevura tiferet. The fathers of the sefirot are called chesed gevura and tiferet, and they give birth, so to speak, to love and fear and joy and the rest of the spirit, etc., Avram represents chesed, and we see that very, very clearly by the way he lived his life, giving indiscriminately to whoever passed by, um, whether he was, um, you know, believed in one God or many. Avram gave and gave and gave, and he spread Judaism to everybody. Yitzchak represents gevura, which is severity and judgment. Yitzchak was much more, it says about Yitzchak that he dug wells. Did we learn? Um, we didn't learn that this year about the Yitzchak, the significance of Yitzchak digging wells. He, instead of spreading outwards, he dug deeper and deeper and deeper. It says about Yitzhak that he dug wells, and he specifically re-dug the wells of his father, because Gvura is a deeper emotion even than chesed, severity and judgment. And Tiferet is Yaakov, which is a perfect blend of Avram and Yitzhak, of chesed and Gvura. Tiferet means beauty. And something beautiful is the idea that there are different aspects blending together in perfect Harmony, right? You wouldn't go into a museum and see just like a red, just one tone red painting. Like that's not, although today you probably would. (laughs) Is it true that there's a banana somewhere hanging in some museum? It's not the same banana. He replaced the banana. And it's art. It's art. I know. It's expensive art. It's expensive. The banana's expensive art. Okay, I heard about this and I didn't believe it. Okay, so it's true. So so today you could. Tiferet doesn't exist, basically, but God forbid. But you would think that if you walk into a museum and you just see a one-tone picture, 
that today it's called creativity because you're like breaking the norm you know like everyone would expect you to blend the colors but you're not and so you get yourself into a museum uh, and people actually come and look at it and pretend, <laughs> pretend they're, in, they're inspired by it um, but Tiferet the idea of Tiferet means a blend means beauty and what's representative of Yaakov is that he was a perfect blend of Avram and Yitzchak. Avram, Chesed, when it's taken too much to the extreme, gives birth to a Yishmael. Yishmael was the son of Avraham who went astray. He was too, way, way too indulgent. Right? When Chesed goes all the way, um, he, he was way too indulgent and wanted only to chase after physical pleasures, etc., etc. And that was the negative aspect and expression of Chesed when taken to the extreme. Yitzchak had a son, Esav, which is the extreme of Gavura. When Gavura is left alone by itself and taken all the way to extreme, we have an Asaph who murders, who kills, who's, who's a hunter and, and who, who's a, a very, very severe, um, what's the word, um, murderous and violent person. But what does it say about Yaakov? It says about Yaakov, that his bed was complete. He had 12 completely righteous sons and his daughters as well were completely righteous. His daughter or daughters, depending on the different explanations. And the reason for that is because, again, chesed taken all the way to the extreme goes to negative places. Gavura taken to the negative extreme, to, to, to the extreme also goes, not even necessarily to the negative extreme. Chesed taken to the extreme becomes negative. Gavura taken to the extreme becomes negative. Tiferet takes chesed and gavura and blends them together in a perfect way complete 50 50 not like 51 49 complete 50 50 down the middle and that creates a beautiful blend and harmony which is expressed in what's called mercy rachmanut i'll speak a little bit about chesed gavura and tiferes now and then we won't speak at length about them when we go through the spheres just just a little bit of of what that looks like for ourselves um, and then we can see why, specifically so we can understand why is Tiferet representative of Rachmanut. So an example for Chesed, what, what, what happens when we have Chesed for somebody else? What happens is that depending on how much love is elicited within ourselves for that person, that's how much we're going to give. So Chesed, on the one hand, is an emotion that can just be kept inside, but taken all the way forth is expressed in the way of giving. Okay, and so you can be walking down, this is a famous example, you're walking down the street and you see, you see a beggar, and the beggar has a little child with, you know, with her, let's say, um, and so suddenly you start to feel so, you know, so much compassion, so much love for these people, it, it makes, or, or even so much discomfort within yourself, you start to feel something, it elicits a reaction within yourself, and therefore, based on how much of a reaction it elicited within you, that's how much you're going to give. So it's almost like the most selfish of all of them. Um, however much you feel like you want to give, that's how much you're going to give. And so many times what that expresses itself is that because that person awakened within you, this feeling, to, this really, really strong feeling, you're going to give them so much even though they don't necessarily deserve it or they're going to do something wrong with it or it's not exactly what they needed in that moment. It's what you felt that they needed based on what you experienced, right? So... And chesed also, the idea of giving indiscriminately. That's why we say every single day in Shmonasra, we say magen Avraham, which means literally the shield of Avraham. But also magen means to protect. It's protect us from Avraham. Protect us from too much chesed, from chesed going to the wrong places, from Hashem giving chesed to the klipa and to the negative forces. So we're saying Hashem protect us from Avraham. So chesed means however much love was 
an emotion was triggered within myself, that's how much I'm going to give that person. Um, whether that person deserves it, whether it's good for the person, whether it's not, I'm going to give. Gavura is very much dependent upon the person. So you're walking down the street and you see a woman and you see a child and you start to think, hmm, is that child really that woman's or is she exploiting that child in order to make money for herself or is somebody else exploiting both of them and who's actually getting the money and, um, you know, are they going to be doing negative things with this money and do they deserve it and, um, you know, maybe I should be, you know, getting them food instead. I should be getting the money. What do they, what do they deserve? Also, maybe that, well, this woman should get up and start going to work. We start thinking, what does this person deserve, right? That's pure gavura. And based on what you decide that that person deserves, not necessarily how much emotion you feel, but how much you think that that person deserves based on your judgment, that's how much you're going to give. What's interesting is that, some, is that many times gavura is actually more powerful than chesed. You're going to give more to that person based on what you feel that they deserve. There's some instances where gavura gives more than chesed because in the chesed situation, it wouldn't have elicited so much emotion. But in the gavura situation, where you, where you decide what they deserve, you can decide that they deserve more than what you would have given in chesed. So, so, so gavura is actually considered, in a way, a, a deeper emotion because you're actually starting already to take the other person into account, as opposed to in chesed, it's all about yourself. And so, based on what you think the person deserves, that's how much you're going to give, or that's how much you're not going to give. Or you can decide based on you, you know, you don't think it's good for that person, so you're not going to give. That's gavura. So it's judgment. Suddenly, it's not all about the feeling of love, but suddenly you're judging. Tiferet is considered the middle path, and the middle path represents truth and perfection. Right? It's a perfect blend of both. Perfect, not forty-nine, fifty-one, fifty-fifty. In order to get to fifty-fifty, you need real truth and you need transcendence in a way. And Tiferet represents putting yourself completely into that person's shoes, experiencing it as they're experiencing it. And that arouses two possibilities. When you totally experience Tiferet for another person, if they're having a hard time, you experience that. And then that arouses within you. What does that arouse? If you're mercy, mercy for the person. Not, so mercy, which is a perfect blend of the chesed and the gavura, right? If that person's doing great and you start to feel this person and you're like, this person has an amazing life, what are you going to feel? You're going to feel simcha. So tiferet actually in some places, it's not usually mentioned, but in some places in Tanya, tiferet is described as simcha. Um, and we see that within our soul as well. Within our soul, tiferet is the idea that we're perfectly experiencing what the soul, putting ourselves in, putting ourselves in the shoes of our soul. And when we put ourselves in the shoes of our soul, either we have mercy or we feel happy. We usually have mercy. But some people sometimes are going to feel so happy. Like, wow, look what an opportunity I'm giving my soul in this world. Look how amazing um, I'm doing, right? Um, not common for us. But for some people, they're going to experience simcha in those cases. And the same with others. When we're relating to somebody else with tiferet, either it's going to arouse within a simcha or rachmanot. Usually rachmanot in some way. And then... We give based on what the person actually wants, what the person, what, what really, truly, ultimately is in the best interest of the person, because now you're in that person's shoes. It's not about your judgment or your emotions that were aroused, but actually what that person needs, and that's Rahmanut. So within the context, we're going to be discussing this within the context of our soul. How do we arouse Rahmanut for our soul? And what's that going to help anything? Okay. So, shenim shechmeim ava v'yira v'rachmanut. Um, chesed is the, gives birth to love. Gavur gives birth to awe or fear or respect. Uh, I don't like using fear because we, but like awe, respect. Rachmanut gives birth, uh, and Tiferet gives birth to Rachmanut, to mercy. Shame Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And these are the three traits, so to speak, that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, 
lived by, uh, characterized by, served Hashem with, and gave over as an inheritance to us, to our souls. Bahainu. And so therefore, we can see that the entire prayer that was established by the Anshayi Knesset HaGadola that we pray is made up of these three types of psukim. Because just as Avram, Mitzvah, and Yaakov together gave us the prayer, Shachar, Mincha, and Mayrev, it sounds like there's like a... Oh, oh, okay, fine. It sounded like a buzzing. I don't know why. Um, so too, we experience these expressions of love, fear, and mercy within our davening, as we'll see here. So Hainu, we can see psukim shel chesed. We see psukim of love, of kindness, shenasa mehem bekriyachma, which we say when we're saying shema, v'yahavta et Hashem alokecha, that you should love Hashem your God, al yadehit bonanut kanal, through contemplation, Plating all of the things that we discussed until now. This is the level of Avram who is called Avram Ayhavi, Avram who I love. And I think also, there's a story about this. David wanted to be called David Ayhavi. David said, I also want to be the lover of Hashem, the loved one of Hashem. And Hashem said to him, Yeah, but Avram passed a test that it was impossible to pass. He took his son to the Akeda. You're not going to pass a test that's impossible to pass. And he said, try me, test me. I want to reach this level. And so what happened? Hashem tested him with a test of Bacheva and he failed. Anyway, that's another discussion. But that just, <laughs> that's a completely another discussion. But just Avram Ayavi, I remember this context over here. So how do we express this expression of Avram through our prayer? How do we experience this love through reaching this level of Ratzo in Kriyachma and experiencing this love for Hashem? The bringing forth the hidden love into a revealed way through Kriyachma. And through this awakening of love, afterwards we see that Hashem commanded us to do all these things that he told us, to learn the Torah and to do the mitzvahs. Because when someone loves Hashem, he will express that love in connecting to him by studying Torah. So this is all an extension of the situation of of this love. Even though it, then it says that we're going to gather our grain, which we start to discuss physical matters, we'll see that this is all connected. So this implies that even after experiencing love for Hashem and Shema, he will still be involved in material occupations like farming. So how can we say that he truly loves Hashem if the love of Hashem can only be expressed in learning Torah and fulfilling mitzvahs? Seemingly, after experiencing true love of Hashem, he should have no interest in any material pursuits. So in the Shema, we proclaim Hashem's unity. Then we say, We speak about our love for God. And then the continuation of that paragraph speaks about serving Hashem through Torah and mitzvahs. But then the next paragraph starts to discuss where we're going to go out and work the field. So how are these two things connected? Nonetheless, if he really experiences this love of Hashem and Shema and throughout his service of God, he will make his Torah and Kva, his Torah, the main thing, the Ikar, and his work, his job as secondary. Since he is passionate about his Torah study and deep down this is what he is thinking about all day, therefore the fact that many hours a day he must be involved in material matters doesn't take away 
his love for Hashem. So we're still discussing the category and subject of love as it's expressed throughout our prayer, which is represented by Avraham. As it says, Have you guys heard this quote? It's spoken about very much on uh, Tubav. It's also expressed in the verse, for a man, it's like a tree of the field, that's specifically a tree that bears fruit. Bless you. What does this mean? That means that ilan, that a man is like a tree, which sprouts forth good morning from the earth. The main thing about the tree is the fruit that's on it, right? You want to eat fruit, you're going to plant a tree so that you can get fruit. In Kolze, but nevertheless, Yeshkam Kotzin Va'alin. On this tree, there are also leaves and there are also thorns. Vagufailan, and there's also the trunk of the tree, the Ha'ika Huraka Perot. But the main thing is the fruit. So we see how, why is a man like a tree in this context over here? There's many different explanations, but the Altrap is explaining this pasuk here for the point that he's trying to drive home, which is that just as a tree, the main thing is the fruit, but nevertheless, it has a trunk and it has thorns, and it has branches, and it has leaves, so to a person, even though he goes out to work, and he deals with mundane things in his life, which are all the thorns, and the branches, and the leaves, and the trunk, the main thing for him is the fruit, the fruit is the Torah and mitzvahs, that's the main part of his life, and if he makes that the ikar, if he makes that the most important thing, and makes everything else secondary, he's still living his life in this way of love for Hashem, and in a way of ratzo. Oh, I read that. So to a person, the main part of the person, if he has made this, the main part of his life, is the fruit. Which are Torah and mitzvahs. As our sages have said, what is a fruit? Mitzvahs, says in the Gemara. Fruit represents mitzvahs. This is the idea that he establishes Torah as his main pursuit. All of the rest of his physical needs. They're like the leaves in regard to the fruit. So again, this is the process of love for Hashem that results in wanting to do Torah and mitzvahs to connect to Hashem that we experience during Shema, which is representative of the aspect that Avram brings into our prayer. So establishing whether something is primary or secondary isn't dependent on quantity, but quality. Most of the tree is its trunk and root and leaves, and the fruit are very small compared to the rest of the tree. Nonetheless, the entire importance of a fruit-bearing tree is the fruit it produces. So to a person who truly appreciates the value of Torah and mitzvahs, will view them, oh, that's the word I was going to quote, of being primary importance. Ikar is primary, even though the majority of his day is involved in material matters. This is making his whole life in this way of ratzo, in this way of loving Hashem. This corresponds to the aspect of Avraham. Living your life in a way that's represented by the love that you feel for Hashem, which then translates into you making the Torah and mitzvahs the main part of your life. But how is that realistic? Right, but that's the question. Like, where, where is your head at? You, right, so like, are you putting all of your spirit and all of your soul into making sure that you can live? Or are you making, putting your spirit and your soul into serving God and, ma- and putting your, your hands, right? Or even a certain aspect of your brain to work to make sure that you have what you need, right? So the question is, where is, where is the spirit at? 
Where is the emphasis put? Of course, we have to go out, we have to work. We have to make a lot of money, not just a little bit of money. We have to live well. We are, the Rebbe says that we need to live ba'ashirot, right? The Jewish Jews don't have parnasa. They don't have like a, you know, a stipend every, every year, right? They have ashirot. They need to live wealthily. But the question is, um, how are we going to make sure that we live well? Is it in a way of making that the main pursuit of our life or the secondary pursuit of our life? Make sense? Yeah. But it's very true. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of our bodies, to take care of our families. Um, it, the, I think it's the Rambam who says that a small hole in the body is a giant hole in the soul. That if, if something's incomplete and lacking in the body, it impacts the soul and the way we can serve Hashem. I just feel like if you put like so much into serving Hashem and learning to and this and that, and you're not prioritizing other things, it's not healthy. It's like... It will be consuming, I think. Like, why is it not healthy? I think if something consumes you, shouldn't it consume you? No, for real. No, it's. I feel like if it's consuming you, like you don't have a view for anything else. And that's the point, though. What's what does it mean consuming you? What does that mean? Because sometimes it. I, I, and has a point that sometimes it consumes you that you lose touch with reality. Yeah. And you lose touch with, and reality not just being like negative, pessimistic, or the real world, but actually actual reality that can yeah. be taken to a negative, of course. Um, the, the, but the goal is that the Torah and the mitzvahs that your main thing should give you just a new perspective that you can look at your entire life in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, not to go and live in a cave because now you're learning Torah and mitzvahs, but rather that because of the Torah, through the Torah and mitzvahs that you do, the other aspects of your life are infused with that as well. And that's really where Tanya is very revolutionary and explaining how every sip of water that we take and every time we sit down to eat and every time we go to work is an opportunity to serve Hashem. So when we really connect to the Torah that we're learning and we really do the mitzvahs with Kabbalah to all, we're able to translate that into every area of our life. It doesn't mean we're cutting off another area of our life. It means we're taking that and bringing it over. And we're keeping and re- retaining that same perspective even when we're not doing an, a physical, actual mitzvah in that moment or sitting in the bed midrash learning Torah. But you do have a point that there are some people who um, it consumes them in the negative. And, and, and what that looks like is that they stop taking care of their family or, they, or, they, or they're not able to speak and communicate anymore with their families not on the same religious level. Um, and that, cons- and that may- causes a lot of fights and a lot of hurt and a lot of heartbreak. And that's not the goal. Yeah. And so I guess consumes, that's why I said consumes could be taken in two ways. Yeah. It could mean that this becomes your new perspective on life and you're translating that, bringing that into every area. Or it could mean that it, it, you lose and burn all the bridges that, that, are, that are your life. So I guess consumes could be taken in, in two different ways. Um, but the goal really is that if we have a healthy relationship with Torah and Mitzvahs, that, that, that should translate into every area of our life in, um, in, a, in a healthy way. In a healthy way. Um, okay, so let's speak about Yitzchak, and then we'll speak about Yaakov tomorrow. No, t- today's Thursday. Oh my gosh, today's Thursday. <laughs> Shabbos. Oh my gosh, okay. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting really old, and I'm too young to be getting really old. Uh, like, too quick. Was this was just me? What happened this week? <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, next week we'll continue with Yaakov. So let's read about Yitzchak. V'ken Yitzchak, similarly Yitzchak, b'chinat gvura, who represents gvura, severity, judgment. Shenasimizeh b'chinat yira b'nefesh, which gives birth to the emotion of awe for Hashem in our soul and for fear of Hashem in our soul, as it says, pachad 
Yitzchak. So we, so in order to understand the connection between Avram and love, we said Avram Oyhavi from the Tanakh. And here we have a quote from the Torah, Pachad Yitzchak, the fear of Yitzchak. That Yitzchak represents fear, fear of Hashem. So when someone sees how Hashem uses severity to punish the wicked, this inspires a fear of Hashem in a person. This is one explanation. The verses in prayer describing how Hashem uses his might to punish the wicked helps a person reveal the aspect of Yitzchak in his soul, his innate fear of Hashem. And you see this very much in the Azir Shir, which describes at length what happened exactly in detail to the Mitzrayim, how they were lifted up and then they were dragged back down as they drowned in the sea. Um, And this is supposed to instill in us an awe and a fear of Hashem in our hearts, which we can then use to serve Hashem in the way of Yitzchak. And as we said, Yaakov represents Rachmanut, and we're going to see that this is Yaakov's avod is very significant as a tool to help us reach the level of love and fear of Hashem, which are Yitzchak and Yaakov, uh, Avram and Yitzchak, in order, because those are very, very lofty, difficult emotions to reach, a true fear of Hashem and a true love of Hashem. And, and if we really want to reach those, we can use Yaakov and Rachmanut to specifically achieve this ratzo and this love. So we'll continue with that on Sunday. Does anyone have any questions or comments? Yes. Um, so the different times you go in every day, are you tapping into like chakras like chesed, inchat, That's a good question. Um, there is very much an idea that different times of the day, there's, different, there's a different revelation happening at that time. Um, throughout the day, throughout the week, whether it's closer or further away than from Shabbos or Shabbos itself, the months each have like a different energy. Um, I don't know 100% if that's the, I, 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 I don't know the source, but I definitely have heard that like morning time is a time of chesed and that the nighttime is more a time of din, of judgment. And that's why, for example, we don't see Tehillim at night and we don't give tzedakah at night. There's like certain influences that those energies do have. But the source of that, I don't recall exactly. But but we see very much by Ashkenaz Rabbi Boker that that the love happened in the happens in the morning. So there are sources, but I'm not remembering what they are. Um, but yes, the different times of the day do have different energies, and that's why there's times that we do do things and times that we don't do things. Yeah. We don't get tzedakah, because it's considered a time of severity where there's like klipa that can then you like translate well. it. I don't know exactly from what time. I would assume from Sita Kochavim, but. Until dawn, probably. Like, for instance, the Tehillim you can read off to midnight, like. Until oh, no. midnight. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's just yeah. from so it's just from yeah. Seta Kochavim until Halachim until Chatzot. Yeah. That's very interesting. I guess it's considered a time where the where the Gvuras are very strong.